I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Oh, welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, gambling, and the home of the Beta Inc. College Advanced Football Statistical Model. Thank you for joining us. It is a beautiful, beautiful Monday morning. Sorry we're late again. We had some traveling. Actually, was down in Tucson to watch the Washington Huskies just lay the smackdown on Arizona in the second half. We'll talk about that game, all the other games coming at you. And please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. You name it, we're there. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. And I am joined by the president grand guru of the beta rank advanced college football statistical model mr rob Barron, how are you i am i am wonderful <laughs> beta rank went 62 percent against the spread last weekend another good weekend for the model so uh yeah they excited beta ranks 100 percent in-season data this week so it's uh it's it's all in season till uh, the end of the year that's great right on uh Keep riding that train, man. Well, we'll keep checking in on Beta Rank. And we all did well against the spread. Max, though, we're joined by Sports Illustrated's Max Meyer, who went four and one against the spread. Rob, you and I went three and two. Everybody had a good week, uh, but particularly Max. How's it going, Max? Good. No, I feel good that I survived Pac-12 Chalk Week because I, I was saying on the pod, I didn't really feel great backing most of the Pac-12 road favorites. Uh, but yeah, no, four and one on on the pod. And then my best bets... Uh, so one was Utah, which was minus 13 earlier in the week. And I thought anything under 14 was a steal. Uh, one was Washington, which was six and a half. And then that line actually slightly dropped to Washington minus six. And I have to admit, I was I was very nervous in the first half after what I saw. But then the Huskies uh, pulled it through later on. And then the other, which was another really easy one, was uh, Arizona State, Washington State uh, over 58. Oh, you took the over. Okay, that that's interesting. Um, and and certainly ended up covering on that front. That was a fun game. We'll cover that. ASU's on a sneaky quiet run to challenge for the Pac-12 South. Jacob Eason dropping a ton of dimes in that second half. We'll talk about that. The emergence of Puka Nakua. But Rob, I have bad news, man. A meteor is headed for this Earth. Where do you want to spend your last week uh, on this beautiful planet? Is it in the Vivid Seat Studio? Oh, you're right. You're in the Vivid Seat Studio. Your <laughs> luck. That's where we're recording. Clothing optional in the Vivid Seat Studio. And download their app. Actually, I went down to Tucson and was looking for tickets for the game. Downloaded the Vivid Seat Studio app, and you can get uh, up to $100 off of your first ticket purchase. And uh, I've already used some of the deals on the other ones, like uh, the other competitors. So it was great. I was able to actually use the uh, promo code overtime, and I got uh, I, I got like 10 to 15%. I forget what it was off of the ticket. It was the cheapest ticket they could find. And uh, lo and behold, was at the Arizona game. So very, very fun. 
And let's talk about general impressions here. It was a fun week, and we have some awesome spreads uh, to talk about in this coming week. But, Max, give me give me three general impressions that you saw um, in this past week as uh, we're starting to see some teams emerge as the favorites here in the respective conferences. Yeah, so I would definitely say uh, it was – I mean, based on what I took, I was thinking it was a bounce-back week for what was considered the, the Pac-12 elite in Oregon, Washington, and Utah. And, I mean – Oregon and Utah, especially, they just absolutely pummeled Colorado and Oregon State, and it was just, and it just felt like the one week where there were actually clear tiers on the Pac-12 instead of the muddled parity twelve that that we've been so that we've been seeing so often this year. So yeah, so with uh, USC Notre Dame, uh, I originally said uh, Notre Dame uh, minus eleven and a half on the pod just because I, I wasn't sure if USC would get their key guys back who were injured, like uh, Keaton Slovis and Talanoa Hufanga and Elijah Griffin. But once all those guys were cleared, I switched my pick and I took USC. And then halftime rolls around and it's 17-3 Notre Dame. I'm thinking, wow, why why did I switch my uh, pick again from the podcast? That's going to make me 0-3 on the season when I do that. But then USC really responded nicely in the second half. And, and I think what clearly showed was that Keaton Slovis is absolutely the answer at quarterback. Uh, he's definitely a sizable upgrade over Matt Fink, who filled in for him uh, after the concussion, uh, suffered in the Utah game, and, and he played. And Fink played the entire uh, game against Washington as well. I mean, USC still has a really impressive uh, collection of skill players. I, I really like redshirt freshman Marquis Step at, Step at running back. They have great receivers. It's just that the, the defense, for all the talent that they have, it's just still way too inconsistent. And the fact that the offensive line can get beat by three-man rushes is also really troubling. Uh, and then the other game, I guess, is Arizona State-Washington State. And I thought that this would be a good uh, bounce-back opportunity for Washington State just because um, I noticed that Arizona State gave up a lot of uh, big plays in the passing game, and they certainly did uh, against the Cougars. But Arizona State's offense was also extremely explosive, and they averaged, I think, a yard more per play uh, than Washington State did. And I just came away really impressed again by Jaden Daniels, who I think is legitimate as a true freshman. I thought two things that stood out for me were the blowouts that were the Utah-Oregon State game. Oregon State has a good offense. We've talked about it on this podcast. But Utah's defense, I think that game against USC, we'll see what happens in the coming games with Utah. But maybe a blip where they were just over uh, over pushing those USC wide receivers and doing a lot of press coverage and just got, uh, got beat on a couple big plays there. Certainly not the case against USC where they just laid the lumber, uh, limiting Oregon State, causing turnovers. That was the one thing we had also talked about, Max, was the the uh, ability of Oregon not to turn the ball over. That finally, that flip switched in this game against Utah. So really big win for Utah. Uh, and then, of course, the Oregon-Colorado game. I know Colorado was banged up, but Steven Montez is good, and those wide receivers are good, and uh, didn't matter against Oregon. Oregon really just kept the pressure on, forced four turnovers. That place is going nuts. The defensive front seven was good. The secondary was good. And Oregon emerging as a team that is uh, a force to be reckoned with was really interesting for me. Um, and of course, Washington's uh, just basically beat down of Arizona in the second half, which again, we'll talk about. Um, but Rob, what are some general things that stood out in your mind in this past week? No, I mean, the big thing that stood out to me was uh, Utah's performance. I mean, they've been, they've been sneaking up a little bit uh, after they woke up a little bit after USC. It wasn't just the USC game. They did not exactly blow through their competition in the non-conference 
Um, Utah's up to number 13 in beta rank right now. Their defense really took a jump forward after, you know, completely clamping down on the Beavers. They're at number seven. They're at number 16 on offense. Like this is a, this is looking like a pretty good Utah team again. So all of a sudden, one of the things that we really expected, they, they really turned on the switch in the last couple of games and uh, they're coming on strong. I like the Oregon though. <clears throat> they're at number seven in beta rank. They're, they're playing like, if they can get a little more out of their offense, like somebody that could be a legitimate playoff team uh, in the conversation because their defense is number one in beta rank this week. And that's the highest. Uh, we'll see where they finish. Um, no Pac-12 team has finished higher than number three in beta rank, and that was Stanford in 2014. So the Ducks right now, with still a lot of football to be played, look like uh, a, a really, really good defense. Yeah, really good news for the Pac-12. We're, we're starting to have some teams bump into that another level. Rob, I'm curious to see what ASU, where, where are they ranked right now? Because they... Um, d- I, and we'll talk about the game, but they just flat out beat Washington State. I looked at that game and thought, um, I saw the second half. And normally you see a score where ASU outscores Washington State. You think, well, maybe you know, Washington State threw some picks or there was some fumbles, some crazy stuff happened. And they just beat them. <laughs> like that was, they were just the better team and really played against a, still a prolific offense and that secondary stepped it up. So where does ASU rank in beta rank right now? ASU comes in at 33. Um, so they're at number 45 on offense, number 30 on defense and number 32 on special teams. And I mean, the defense is, I think, come back to earth a little bit. Some of, we found out some things about also about some of the teams that they played in the early season, but the offense is also starting to play a little bit better than they were. Um, even though you wouldn't know, I don't think anyone would say, especially with Tracy Clay's quitting, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of rage um, that this Washington state defense is anything spectacular, but yeah, they're, they're an interesting team because they get, uh, they get Utah and it's, I mean, the model really likes the Utes in this game. It's at, this is a weird week too, because every, every favorite except Oregon is at home this week. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're within striking distance of if they have a good game and the Utes don't, it's uh, you know, they, they, you know, if Georgia can go and lose to South Carolina, like, you know, like Arizona State could win on the road with some luck. And we had some much needed buys for UCLA, yeah. Stanford and Cal. <laughs> so I'd be curious to see what they do as they move into to week eight here. Um, anything else we should talk about, Max? Anything else you want to bring up before we get into uh, our week eight slate? Uh, well, I guess just a couple notes from what I saw. So I guess with the Utah Oregon state best bet. My, my reasoning, a lot of my reasoning for that was uh, Oregon state's rushing attack. Hasn't nearly been as good as it was last year. And while at Utah's defensive line, uh, they, their sack rate isn't the best, but they've been really good at um, really at containing the run. So like stuff rate, they're really high, which is uh, limiting opposing ball carriers uh, at or behind the line of scrimmage. And I figured that if they were able to contain that Oregon State rush offense and force Oregon State into more third and longs, that Oregon State wouldn't be as successful as they were because they were six in the country heading into that game in third down conversions. And, and like we were saying, they only had one turnover the entire season, and that was by a backup quarterback in the Cal Poly game. And I figured that more third and longs against a really strong Utah defense would lead to trouble. And sure enough, that's what happened. I mean, Oregon State had their worst third down performance of the season, and that's why you didn't see the offense click. And then also, I mean, Utah shadowed uh, Isaiah Hodgkins, who, who's been 
if not all Americans, certainly first team pack all Pac-12 good. And they shadowed him with their star quarterback, Jalen Johnson. And I mean, the, the results worked. And um, let me see, what was the other game I wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I guess that, that like, I learned a lot from the Utah-Oregon State game. But also, I guess one thing to keep in mind is that Utah's offense has looked really good, but it's also played Washington State and Oregon State the past two weeks. And I, I don't, I'm not a big believer in Arizona State's defense based on the uh, over best bet that I took last week against Washington State, but I still think it, it serves as a step up uh, for the Utes. Okay. And then doing our picks on the week, we have, again, Max, you went 4-1. and one. You're 28-15 and 15 on the year. And it's kind of getting close here. So I went three and two. I'm 24 and 19 on the year. And Rob, you went three and two, 23 and 20 on the year. So everybody above 500 against the spread. And we move into week eight. So let's do it. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, all right, we're back. And as we talk about our sleazy bets, got to talk about our friends at my bookie. It's hard to believe it's October already. We had just talked about week eight. It's freaking crazy. College season is just heating up. My bookie gives more reason to bet on the action. Not only your point spread and total, but my bookie offers in-game wagering. You can track the action and get it, get your props at a good price. One of the things that's interesting is, uh, and Max, you probably can speak to this. It's, it's always important to have a couple books. So if you, if you haven't used my bookie and you're using another book, uh, Check out my bookie. If you use the promo code Overtime, they're going to actually double your first deposit, which is an excellent deal. And it's nice to to shop that number every once in a while to get that hook out of the way or, or get a hook if you're taking the dog. And what they offer really scratches the surface. We've teamed up with them in October to give you that offer. So sign up at mybookie.ag and use the promo code Overtime, and they'll match your first deposit. The promo code Overtime. Users get that first uh, deposit doubled. Check it out. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and get paid. Get hooked up, man. Get that get that deposit doubled over at my bookie. I also wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners who's been talking about the Washington first quarter line, which I think has hit basically every single quarter throughout the year. So just, just check that out there. That first quarter Washington bet. Keep an eye on that. Um, let's start. They did it against Stanford. I I believe I believe so. He said they yeah, was actually, they were yeah they were up seven three in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, let's start. With let's start with ASU Utah Saturday October nineteenth at three o'clock p.m. We'll talk Oregon Washington. There's a lot of lot of time for that, but I want to give some love to this. Really, it kind of seems like an under the radar game because everybody is talking about Oregon Washington. But number seventeen ASU is a thirteen and a half point dog on the road in Salt Lake City against Utah, and both teams again had impressive showings. Let's start with let's start with ASU here. Uh, they beat Washington State thirty eight to thirty four. Jaden Daniels had a heck of a game, 25 for 36 for 300 yards to the air and three touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown. And Eno Benjamin got his run on, uh, 137 yards and a touchdown. Of course, Brandon Nayuk was everywhere. I, again, I just thought this was a really impressive win for ASU, just flat out beating a Washington State team, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. This team looked pretty good, uh, given that they often had like Washington State's defense isn't great, but Arizona State often had pretty long fields to work with in this game. And they they did manage to put up points and do enough to win. And I I think that the as their offense sort of feels it out and puts it together a little bit like they're they're dangerous, even even against a team like Utah. 
um, or some of the better defenses that they're going to face, like their wide receivers are so good. And, and Benjamin's pretty good in the open field too, that, you know, they, they can put up points very quickly. One of the things, Max, that we've been talking about is how ASU s- slows that game down with uh, with Herm Edwards at the helm. And I was so nervous about Jaden Daniels as a freshman quarterback, but this is the third game in a row where he's really just stepped up. Third big game, by the way, for ASU in a row where he's stepped up and his numbers just keep getting better. Uh, what do you think about this ASU offense? And I know you mentioned you weren't as big on the defense. I'd like to hear what you think about uh, why you're not as big, because I think Baderink, there's probably a discrepancy between Rob's numbers and what you got there. Um, so I guess first with the offense, yeah, Daniels is definitely, uh, impressed more than I thought he would early on. Uh, I think we, we've, we've gone over the offensive line struggles early in the season a lot, just that they had a true freshman in Donovan West starting at center. But then when they had uh, their senior Cole Cabral back, uh, he was inserted back into center. West was moved to right guard and that offensive line has been playing a lot better, but I do have to say, I mean, Washington state was able to generate some pressure uh early in the game against arizona state i I think they had uh they had at least a couple sacks in that one so i mean if if washington state's doing that utah might be too but i think i think you're still seeing an an overall improvement or a much bigger improvement compared to earlier in the season when that offensive line was getting dominated by the likes of sacramento state (laughs) and then with the defense they're just giving up a lot of big plays through the air with with the three three five like i saw um Former USC cornerback Jack Jones, who transferred over to ASU, they were they were constantly picking on him. And uh, Anthony Gordon, he didn't have uh, nearly as high a yards per attempt as Jaden Daniels did, just because Daniels had uh, the mon- like it was a 86 yard completion to Ayuk, and and I think Ayuk had like another like 45 uh, yard touchdown. So they so they got like massive plays, and the longest passing play for Washington State was only 35 yards. But Gordon was just consistently like slicing and dicing that pass defense. And I, I think the run, I think the run defense is really good. And that's where I think that they can match up nicely with Zach Moss. If, if Utah decides to give him a lot more carries than he did against Oregon state. And, and I think they should just because they were easing him back into the uh, game plan after he suffered, after he missed the game with injury. And I mean, Utah got up pretty quickly on Oregon state. So there was no need to force, uh, Moss back into the game once he already showed that he, uh, you know, he was game ready. I mean, he had that like 90 something yard touchdown run. So yeah, I'm just not a big believer in Arizona state's pass defense. And then, and it wasn't only like Washington state that exploited it. Uh, Steven Montez had a really big game against it and Chase Garbers before he got hurt, he was averaging, um, he was averaging almost 10 yards in attempts against Arizona state's pass defense. So yeah, I definitely think that that's a problem that could uh, really hurt Arizona State against pass-heavy teams later in the season. Rob, I want to give you a chance to rebut, but let's do that when we analyze ASU versus Utah's offense, so ASU's defense and uh, and uh, what Utah's been doing through the air and on the ground. But let's talk about Utah first here. Utah 52, Oregon State 7. Tyler Huntley had a really, really efficient game, 14 for 17, about 250 yards and two touchdowns. They had uh, 
256 yards on the ground. Zach Moss, like you mentioned, Zach, they eased him in five carries. But my goodness, they really eased him in five carries for 121 yards and two touchdowns. Not bad for a five carry day's work. Um, we saw some other people jump in there. Jordan Wilmore and then Damari Simpkins had a pretty good game uh, through the air. Four catches for 97 yards. And I mean, look, this is Oregon State's defense. We had just talked about how awful it was, but it was nice to see Utah take full advantage. And then on the opposite side, Rob, when you when you looked at, at Utah's game against Oregon State, I know we talked a little bit about it in the general impressions portion, but anything you want to expand on in that performance? Because it was pretty dominating. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out that not only did uh, Utah's defense jump up considerably, but they now have the number one defense in beta rank and effective rush. So, <laughs> I mean, it, that's going to bode well on this this game this week. But, yeah, they really did a, a terrific do- job shutting down Oregon State. And the model basically, it, it didn't bump the Beavers down a ton. It just jumped Utah up. I mean, it looked at the, the data and the best fit was that Oregon State had a still has a decent offense, but Utah just has a very good defense. Mm. Well, this is a good matchup here. Let's talk um, – wh- I'm sorry, where was ASU just – in just the full regular ranking and where is utah so uh it's number 13 utah and number 33 asu okay let's talk about that offense and defensive matchup here and let's start with utah's offense versus asu's defense where do both of those units rank so it's the number 16 offense for the utes against the number 30 defense for asu uh, as Max pointed out, there's a run pass split for the Sun Devils. They are 28 in effective rush and 44 against the pass. Utah, they're a run heavy team. Not all of that is between the tackles and an Andy Ludwig offense. So they're number 16 in effective rush and number 44 in effective pass. This is starting to look like a traditional Andy Ludwig offense. They're 21 in explosive drives and 81 in drive efficiency. So the Utes look to put up yards in big chunks uh, and score points. Um, but the Sun Devils have been where they've been pretty good is they've been pretty good at containing explosive drives. They're number 28 there. Um, they're number 89 in drive efficiency, though. So you can put up long drives against the Sun Devil defense. They they really do sort of make their hay and trying to limit the big plays on you. And you can see that with uh, Washington State, like Gordon didn't put up a ton of really, really big plays. He just you know carved them up. Uh, inside and out what one of the other things that utah is excellent at is negative drives they don't turn the ball over a ton and they don't go three and out a lot and all of that pays off uh, for your offense uh, but also for your special teams and defense because if you're not going three and out you're flipping the field a little bit let's dive into that a little bit here max we just talked about off uh, the the utah offense versus asu's defense what's the key matchups you're looking for on that side of the field well, I definitely think it's interesting that um, Utah's top wide receiver heading into the season, Britton Covey, Kyle Whittingham says he's in redshirt mode. So Covey has played, I, I, I think he's played the full four games and, and he's planning on redshirting the season and maybe coming back for either with Utah next year or transferring to another program. But Whittingham said he's in redshirt mode. So like you, you were saying, like Simpkins had a big game against Oregon State, but yeah, Utah has to find uh, that new number one wideout and hopefully have him emerge because the, the run game's great. Huntley's Huntley's been really, really impressive this year through the air. I, I think he's really, um, you know, grasped the reins of, of Ludwig's offense and uh, defense. And I, I, I think Utah's offensive, like Arizona state's defense, they don't get a lot of pressure. So I, I think Huntley should have enough time. It, uh, so I, I think Utah's uh, pass game here is the X factor for me. Because I, I think Arizona State's going to key in on Moss, 
And I'm, and given the fact that he only had five carries against Oregon State, still not sure how healthy he truly is. So I think it's up to Huntley and this group of wideouts uh, to make big plays in this one. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see that matchup there. Let's flip it on the other side. ASU's offense versus Utah, Utah's defense. Obviously, we know Utah's defense is nasty good. Uh, but where is where is uh, ASU's offense? And let's split that out between the run uh, run offense and the, the pass offense. So this is a matchup of the number seven defense and beta rank against the number 45 offense. Um, the Sun Devils come into this game with a, a pretty big split themselves. They're not a great rushing team still, um, even with uh, even with some of the better you know rushing yards they've had the last couple of weeks. So they're number 72 in effective rush. They're number 24 in effective pass. So when they tend to get it done, they tend to get it done through the air. They get to go against the number one effective rush unit in college football and the Utah Utes, uh, and they're number 25 in effective pass. Like that, that Oregon State game also helped out on, on the back end as well, how we were grading them out. So this Utah team, what they really excel at uh, is they contain explosive drives. They're number three in containing explosive drives. They're tough to put up, put up really big plays on. Uh, and they're very good, number 13, in creating negative drives. They create a lot of three and outs, um, you know, help flip field position, keep their offense in a good spot. A- ASU, when they put up points, it tends to be a little bit more on explosive drives. They grade out at 39 there. Again, negative drives, they're at 36. They don't do a lot of three and outs, and, and that, that can help out a bit. But it's what's interesting in this game is this is a total flip from what you would expect in most years. Uh, ASU special teams grade out at 32. Utah grades out at 86. <laughs> that is nuts. I mean, it is really crazy when you think of a Utah team and the, the special teams. Uh, we'll talk about some other special teams woes as we go through the, the slate here in week eight. But Max, what, what's a key matchup for you? And what do you think about that spread? 13 and a half seems a lot for a team that slows that ball down. It seems like two teams that slow the ball down. I know that there's some pretty explosive drives from Utah's standpoint, but um, still, I do think this is a this is a coaching staff that is willing to kind of sit on ASU's chest if they if they can. I don't know if they're going to be a team that's going to step on the gas to score a ton of points. So uh, what do you think about the point spread? And what do you think about the matchup between ASU's offense and Utah's defense? Yeah. So, I mean, I, the, the point spread opened at 12 and a half and it, and it's already up to 13 and a half and actually at um, the Westgate, it's up to 14. So immediately you think, look, it's, it's a battle of two ranked teams. Arizona state's going to be a public dog because People are going to see this and be like, how is a ranked Arizona State team a, a two-touchdown underdog to Utah? It's just that when, when people see two ranked teams, they don't think that one team is significantly better than the other, especially in like the Pac-12. But I guess and, – and normally like I, I would think that the favorite would be the right side here. But I actually think it's, it's beneficial that Arizona State went on the road and played Michigan State earlier this season just because Michigan State – also had an elite defensive line. It's it's definitely uh, a tough road environment. And Arizona State, uh, they they were significantly <laughs> outplayed in that game in terms of like yards per play. But they were eight and Michigan State. I mean, they missed three field goals. There were other mistakes. So Arizona State probably shouldn't have won that game. But it was definitely closer than the fourteen point spread indicated. And a lot of that was it was a smart offensive game plan. Uh, by Rob Likens going with uh, a lot of shorts uh, with screens and short throws instead of running it into that Michigan State defensive line and having no chance. So I would actually expect something similar uh, to that effect just because Utah's defensive line is is just is, you know, in that same elite tier as Michigan State's. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if Whittingham puts Jalen Johnson on Brandon Ayuk. So it could be a big Kyle uh, Williams game uh, if Ayuk is uh, getting manhandled by Johnson on the outside. But I, I think Ayuk is really, really special as well. So, I mean, he could definitely get his also against the Utes. Now, that makes sense. Rob, what does Bader Inc. have the spread at and who are you taking? Uh, Bader Inc. has it at 12 and a half. And it has the Utes with an 82% win probability. I, I, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to, I'm going to take ASU um, since it's gone up. Um, when it opened, I was like, oh, man, right on the nose. Where am I going to go? Um, but <laughs> uh, I, do think, I do think in this game that uh, ASU is, is good enough to at least move the ball and, and keep the ball uh, keep the ball you know for some of the drives and that's going to eat up some clock and I do think the Utes even with this Andy Ludwig offense like they're they're not going to you know have a ton of possessions out there so that just leads me to think that it's going to be it's going to be tough to get into sort of three possession territory which is sort of where the line is headed towards. Yeah, 14 points. I'll take them. Um, ASU tries to slow the game down. I'm not certain if Utah is uh, able to step on the gas against ASU. I certainly think that they're going to win this game. But um, really fascinating matchup. I'm looking forward to watching. Like, I think the line is screaming take Utah. But I just think that Utah's offense is slightly overrated just because they played Washington State and Oregon State the past two games. And then also Arizona State under Herm Edwards they don't get blown out. It's, it's typically like, it's a lot of close games and you know, Kerm, he plays the, well, he doesn't really play to cover the game, but just because they, they play these games so tightly, like, like I was saying earlier in the season, like with, with Cal and Arizona state, whenever they're double digit favorites or double digit underdogs, you kind of have to go, um, you know, you have to go with the double digit underdog in those types of games. So I'm going against my intuition uh, with the line and I'm, I'm taking ASU in the points. And then I think I said, I was taking the points too. So it seems like we're all in agreement here. We are all firm for Herm Saturday, October 19th at 12, 14 points. I'm firm for Herm. Anyways. <laughs> uh, Saturday, October 19th at 1230. Number 12, Oregon is a opened as a two and a half point, uh, favorite on the road at number 25, Washington. It looks like that line has moved to three max. Is that the case? So I saw that Circa actually opened it at three and a half and and it dipped down to two and a half. And now it's mostly at three. Oh, the the interesting one to me in this game. And I had this one circled. uh, The total opened at 56, which I thought was insane. Oh, my God. And 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 it's down all the way to 51. And I, it, it probably, as long as it's at 51 or above, it's probably making the best bets at SI this week. Cause I think that that's going to be such a low scoring game. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on that. That's, that's really interesting. Let's talk about, uh, Oregon 45, just, just laying the wood against Colorado. Justin Herbert had a pretty good game, 18 for 32, uh, 56% completion rate. So I just want to flag that a little bit, but still, I mean, like they got the job done, obviously two touchdowns. Um, Jalen red, uh, Mike Pittman, both had some decent games catching the ball. Jacob Breeland also had 50, by the way, Juwan Johnson, we finally got him two for 36. So he's on the board. Uh, nice <laughs> to see him. He was, I, I really hope... transfer really paid off. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there were some injury issues. It seemed like over there. And, uh, it's yeah. anyway, it's just good to see him on the field. We'll see what happens. Gives him another big body. I mean, two other things to mention. C.J. Verdell just gashed, 
gashed Colorado, 14 for 171 on the ground. Uh, Die got in there too with 54 yards. But uh, the other big story, four picks from Oregon's pass defense. Four, uh, and they just really made Steven Montez look human. Rob, uh, what stood out for you in Oregon's win over Colorado? I mean, what stood out for me was how good Oregon's defense looked. I mean, don't get me wrong. like Oregon's offense also had a pretty good game. Colorado's Colorado's defense absolutely stinks. So we'll we'll see with that. But their defense came out of that. Um, they're number. They're absolutely terrific. They're number one in the country in beta rank. Um, they are just rolling. I mean, they're able to get pressure. They're rotating guys in and out on the defensive line and in the front seven. That's secondary, which last year I think had some struggles. I mean, they really, really clamped down on a you know very good wide receiver core from Colorado. And Stephen Montez, he's a good quarterback. Like he's a guy that um, I absolutely think could go in uh, on on day you know late day two or day three of the, the NFL draft. So um, that is they they didn't exactly do it against a bad team. Yeah, and Max, you had t- you had given the twenty and a half. I thought that was a lot of points for Oregon to give to any Pac-12 team. And my goodness, they really covered. They needed some <laughs> they needed some uh, uh, some turnovers to get it done, but they they well cleared that mark. What did you think? Yeah, well, I, mean, I thought uh, heading in, like I thought, just Colorado with the state they were in, how banged up they were, and given that I thought that their defense was, I mean, it's either them or Oregon State for. for or I guess even Washington state for who has the worst defense in the PAC 12. And I just thought that Oregon after they kind of fell flat in, in Cal. And I, and I think people were starting to question like, Oh, are the ducks like a legitimate contender? And I, I kind of figured that this would be the statement game and that this wouldn't really be a look ahead game with Washington next. And, you know, it, it's Friday night standalone game at home. Usually Oregon performs much better at home uh, against in, in PAC 12 competition. And with, I mean, Colorado's run defense is better than their pass defense, but I still thought that Oregon would still be able to establish their quote unquote, you know, crystal ball identity with, with being able to run the ball successfully. And I, I guess I was more surprised with Oregon, uh, holding Colorado to just three points. Like I thought that was extremely impressive. Um, I mean, I still lean the under in this game, but I, I just, I, I didn't think that Colorado would only have three points. But, yeah, no, I mean, Oregon, they, they looked great. But we'll see what happens when they're away from Austin this week. Mm-hmm. Well, next we got Washington 51, Arizona 27. Jacob Eason had a rough first half, and, and the, the Washington offense did. But I think that was more of a testament to Arizona's defense, which is surprising to say. But that, e- that defense really was not helped out by Arizona's special teams, nor its offense in the first half. Um, a lot of stupid mistakes, uh, a lot of bad field position, and really stepped up holding Washington to, I think it was 10 points at the first half. Uh, but then that 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 flip switched and Jacob Eason really looked impressive throwing some major like NFL type passes, 15 for 22, 243 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Washington also had 207 yards on the ground with Sean McGrew and Salvan Ahmed. But one of the big stories, Puka Nakua, which I know you Washington fans were really excited about him coming into this season. It looked like he was kind of shoved to the side for uh, over just because of seniority. A lot of these wide receivers dropping balls, not playing well. And boy, Nakua came through three passes for 97 yards. Uh, he averaged 32 yards basically per catch. It really breakout game for him. Uh, Hunter Bryant had a big play. Aaron Fuller was Aaron Fuller as normal. 
Uh, but Washington's defense, my goodness, four sacks, nine tackles for a loss, and Miles Bryant was everywhere in this game. And Washington Rob just turned up the noise on Arizona in that second half and, and really blew him away. Yeah, absolutely. They they did a couple things really well. One was even Nakua made some great catches with good coverage. I mean, and, and Easton threw some dimes um, over the Arizona cornerbacks, but you know it wasn't as if the cornerback wasn't right there. It wasn't blown coverage by any means. Um, so uh, really good catches by Nakua and, and throws by uh, Eason. And then they they were able to run the ball mostly outside. They got outside the tackles, uh, running some power, and, and really were able to block well. Um, and it made a, it made a big difference. And Arizona also, I mean, you can't, you don't care. You don't get housed like that without turning the ball over And Arizona, turned the ball over four times and had some really bad special teams. So, um, that will come back to haunt you. You can't, you can't, uh, even with this Washington team, that's a little bit rebuilding you, you can't turn the ball over four times and expect to be competitive. Max, I ended up taking Arizona in our picks just because Washington has traditionally played bad um, in the state of Arizona for whatever reason. Arizona tends to play better at home. One of the things I forgot, though, is if you take a look at big games that Khalil Tate has played in, he doesn't have a great track record, and he certainly showed that again. Well, I, mean, I guess except when Tate plays USC, just because it's <laughs> a hometown revenge game. And that's definitely something to look at for this week's game. Um, I actually thought, so first half... I mean, Washington got off to that fast start because of the opportunities they were handed, but that score should have been bigger. And I thought when Arizona came back, and I thought Arizona had a, had a legitimate chance to pull the upset, I just really did not like how Eason looked in the first half. It, 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 he looked skittish in the pocket. He was like scrambling with his back toward the play. Uh, maybe the absence of center Nick Harris was a detriment to the offensive line in the beginning. But yeah, like like you guys were saying, like the, the flip switched in the second half. Uh, I was and actually I was really I was impressed with Washington's defense in the first quarter. Uh, definitely looked lively again after dropping or after laying an egg against Stanford. Uh, they were able to get pressure. Uh, it, it looked like Khalil Tate just wasn't seeing the field. Uh, he was just like he was running around and, and, and he had one of those classic Khalil Tate plays where instead of throwing the ball out of bounds, he runs six yards out of bounds to give Arizona like a second and 16 instead of a second and 10. Yep. And, and that, that, that play just absolutely drives me crazy. And he does, and he does it at least once a week, but yeah, Washington in, in the second half, I mean, turnovers definitely played a big role in that, but it was nice seeing their, their offense take a step forward. And Nakua, who was uh, one of their more highly prized recruits, uh, stepping up and playing a big role when he was given more playing time. Yeah, and they certainly need uh, some of those wide receivers to step up. So it looks like he had, uh, hopefully he emerges in, in the coming games as well. But Rob, Max had talked about Washington's defense, still still young, especially that secondary. Um, but it seems like they got their act together against Arizona after being gashed by Stanford. What's the matchup between Oregon's offense and Washington's defense? So this is a decent matchup here. Uh, here it's the, but it's it. Washington does have a little bit of an advantage here. So they're number twenty in beta rank on defense. Oregon's number thirty nine uh, here, and it's the Ducks. Uh, they both the Ducks have a sneaky good special teams. Um, it's part of why their offense doesn't grade out as well in beta rank is because they have such good field position. The Ducks are. They're, they're not great at drive efficiency. They're number 63. Um, they're number 36 on explosive drives. And those are – they're that that explosive drives number is pretty good compared to where Washington is. They're number 35 there. 
Uh, where Washington's really good this season is they're number 12 in play efficiency on defense. So they really limit your yards for play uh, and try to make you earn it. Neither team is, there's not a big split on explosive drives. What's interesting though, as much as Oregon likes to commit to the run, they're still number 61 in offensive effective rush and beta rank. They're number 27 in, in the pass. And it is something that they should think about in this game, even though Washington's up to number 16 in effective pass in the in the model and uh, on defense and number 33 against the run. I, I still think Oregon, um, they might have a, a little more trouble or Washington, Arizona had does not have a great offensive line. So <laughs> the the front seven for Washington had one of the better games that they've had. Uh, it will be interesting, I think, in this game because. Stanford came out and and was able to run the ball effectively against Washington and Arizona actually did pile up some rushing yards against this this Washington offense sort of behind the scenes. Same um, with USC. I mean, yeah, USC did run. too. Um, yeah. And so with what Oregon likes to do, I'm just I'm interested. Like I'm interested to see it because Oregon, even though they like to do it, they don't always execute it very well. And I'm I'm not going to take away from you know, against a bad Colorado offense that, that uh, Oregon was able to pile up those rushing yards against, like a lot of which were in garbage time because Colorado had so many turnovers. So we'll see. I think that's the sort of matchup here because I, I do think even though the model likes Oregon, and I say this often with Oregon, the model likes Oregon more than than Vegas does in this game. But if the offensive play calling isn't there and they commit too much to the run, you know, like it could go under. Mm, does that make sense, Matt? Uh, Max, what matchup are you looking at when it comes to Oregon's offense and Washington's defense? Well, I think that the big news of the day is that uh, Oregon star tight end Jacob Breland is out for the season. Ooh, and yeah. oh. he he is Justin Herbert's best target. He's his most reliable target. He's the biggest mismatch in the Oregon passing game. I mean, I, I don't think skill position players in college football, except for maybe like Jerry Judy, uh, and even then Alabama's loaded at wide receiver. So maybe not even him, but skill position players aren't worth like half a point on the line. But I think that Breland's absence is enormous. And I think that Oregon's pass offense is totally going to suffer because of this. And like Rob was saying, the, the run game is not effective at all. And I really, I think Oregon's offense is really going to struggle, uh, in, in Seattle. Mm. So two and a half point spread, who are you going to take? Oh, uh, it's like this is this is such a quintessential, it, um, at least for me, this is like a quintessential. If you follow the Pac-12, this is like one of those games that doesn't make sense on paper, given how amazing Oregon's defense is. But the, and they just entered like top 10 in SI's rankings. They entered top. They're at top 10 in S&P plus. Like, how is Oregon not going to uh, how are basically how are they not going to lose this game? Um, against Washington, against a Washington team that's looked inconsistent, um, or I'm sorry, not win this game against a Washington team that's looked inconsistent throughout the season. I think Washington wins this outright. Um, I just, I, I do not trust Mario Crystal Ball at, at all in big spots and especially on the road. Uh, Justin Herbert performs much worse away from Autzen uh, than he does at home. Um, and, and, and this is just one of those wonky Pac-12 games that whenever a team starts to enter the top 10, maybe even whispers of college football playoff discussion, they fall flat on their face and lose and it goes back to the parody 12. So I, I disagree. And, and here's the reason why. Uh, Oregon's defense, I think defense travels more than offense does. And 
Yes, Oregon's offense. Like I don't trust Oregon's offense, which is a big like a big point for you, Max. But uh, I also don't trust Washington's offense a ton either. I-, I thought Eason looked great against Arizona, and some of those dimes he passed were beautiful. And Rob made the great point that uh, even though Nakua was covered, and even though Fuller was covered in some of those passes, those were just beautiful, beautiful uh, drops. But um, I don't know if they can do that consistently. I don't think Ahmed's that. I know he had three touchdowns against Arizona, but I have not been impressed with his ability to continue that running game. And then you have uh, the injury to the freshman uh, running back there. I can see a scenario where it's really hard for Washington to score points. Does now is, is that unfounded? Is the I realize that it's kind of a funky game and the two and a half point line is kind of Vegas is dangling a little bit. But um, what do you say to to Oregon's defense being able to show up and at least get some work on that ground? taken care of no brian no i'm with you like i was saying like this this pick doesn't make sense based (laughs) off because i think oregon is clearly the better team they have an unbelievable defense and washington's been inconsistent on both sides of the ball the entire season but this is just like my experience betting inner workings of the pac-12 this is just like a quintessential how in the world this happened even though the line is so short and you're right that the two and a half is absolutely daring uh betters to take oregon I just, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but Washington's winning this game outright. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> all right, all right. What do you think there, Rob? Who are you taking? So, I mean, the, the I'm taking the Ducks here. I think the model's right <laughs> on it. I mean, it's it's basically one possession. Like Beta Rank has it uh, as a as seven point two six for Oregon in the game. So it's not as if like Washington, if they turn the Ducks over, you know, can't win the game, but. You know, the Ducks defense is just so good. They are number one in the model. Um, they're number two at containing explosive drives. They're number four at negative drives, creating three and outs. They're they're just excellent. They're they're number two in effective pass. They're number 10 in effective rush. Washington's offense only grades out at 34. They are, you know, number 41 in effective rush and number 34 in effective pass. Some of the stuff that they've sort of they got away with it against Arizona isn't going to necessarily work all that well against a, a, a team like Oregon. Yeah. I just, and, and I think the special teams make a difference and it's interesting because like S, SP plus has, has the special teams totally flipped around. It has Oregon as some of the worst special teams in the country. Um, and Washington is top five, but um, I, I, I believe in where beta rank has their special teams like beta rank has Oregon's at number two uh, and Washington's at number 47. I just, I think that makes a difference. Oregon, I feel like their special teams outside of their kicking game because they don't trust their kicker at all has been yeah. fine. No, their special teams. I mean, like special teams is mostly like everybody focuses on the special lists in yeah. special teams, but that's only one component, really. I mean, it's uh, it's also about kick returns. It's also about punt returns. It's about you know, are you able to add field position value there? Um, and Oregon special teams are, they're really able to add field possession value. So, I mean, Washington special teams are a lot better than they were last year. Um, but they are also like they're a lot of that is the kicker, um, Washington special teams. They had a really good game, I think. And that stands out to people last week against Arizona, but Arizona special teams are God awful. Um, yeah, I mean, and I also do, and I think some of the other folks out there don't, I I also do opponent adjustment on special teams. So you get graded out against whether the other special teams are actually any good. It's not just a raw score. And you're right. Special teams is definitely, no, you nailed it on the head. 
But I think that this is going to be a close game, and I think that field goals could definitely play a difference in this one. Yeah, that's true. And the fact that Washington finally has a good kicker in Peyton Henry uh, and Oregon, I, I think his name is Adam Stack. Like they they don't trust him at all. Like I, I and but then again, I mean Washington, uh, they did the Jacob Eason pooch punt from the from uh, the Arizona thirty two uh, against Arizona. So. I mean, that's why, I mean, honestly, I love the under in this game just because I I think that both defenses have the edge over the offenses. I think you're going to see conservative coaching from both as well. And I I mean, I really see it as a coin flip game. And I I get it's just like the the Pac-12 wonkiness factor that makes me side with uh, Washington. Okay, well, let's move. We got three more games coming up, but let's get to them right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. A rare Thursday game. Thursday, October 17th at 6 o'clock p.m. UCLA on the road at Stanford. And I apologize, guys. They held the line off for some injury reasons. Does anybody have that line? Oh, it's actually – okay, so it was up at 10 earlier in the day, and and then it was like 9.5, but now it's down to like 8.5. And I'm assuming UCLA's the dog, right, on the road? Yes. Yes. That doesn't make sense to me, Max. Well – I don't know how you play this game until you see, until the injuries are sorted out because both for Stanford, I mean, KJ Costello and Davis Mills are both questionable. And if neither of them play, you have a third string quarterback, Jack West, who I don't even know who that is. And then UCLA, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, he's injured too. Not sure if he's playing this game. I saw a, a one reporter who, who wasn't well known, but he, he said that Darnay Holmes is transferring. It's just, I don't know who's playing this game. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. We'll, we'll we'll stay away from picking this game for right now. Um, but let's talk at least about where they are in beta rank right now, Rob. Um, so what's the general overall ranking of them? And then we'll kind of break down each unit. So coming into this game, uh, Stanford comes in at number 49 um, and UCLA is at number 81 uh, coming into the game. So UCLA is actually the worst team in the Pac-12 currently. Congratulations, Oregon State, at being 78. And Stanford sort of holding steady kind of in the 50 range, like not great. You know, held actually held up a little bit by their special teams, which are traditionally very good and sort of one of the unsung heroes of the David Shaw era. Um, they're at number 17. Max, I – well, here's a question. Does it really matter if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is playing or not? I just don't think he's good. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that he's a sizable downgrade from Austin Burton, but I think he's worth at least point, point and a half, point and a half toward the spread. Okay. All but right. when, but I, wait, I was just curious though, Brian, when you said that the line doesn't make sense, are you saying that it's too high for UCLA or too low for Stanford? I think it's too low for Stanford. I don't trust this UCLA team at all. Um, Got it. I, I think their offense is bad. I at least think that you know, like, I know Stanford's defense has been rough and I don't want to overblow what they did against Washington. I mean, clearly some teams end up breaking out and then reverse, you know, reverting back to the mean. But I do like their front seven. I think that they're going to be able to pressure UCLA and I don't like their offensive play calling. And regardless of if it's Thompson Robinson or Burton, I just don't um, I, I, I don't. 
that wouldn't be the that wouldn't be the train that I'd be riding, uh, you know, on the road to where I know we we mentioned this a lot on the podcast that Stanford at home, you know, oh, nobody shows up to the games or whatever, but they do really play well at the farm, even though there's like 10 people there. I think that that home field advantage is important for Stanford. And I um, even if they don't have. Uh, let's say Costello doesn't play, but it's one of the other two guys. I would definitely give those points. I think Stanford rolls here, but um, but it is weird with the injuries. But does that make sense? You know, and, and I mean, to be fair, I mean, UCLA plays in a road environment every week because they don't really have much home fans <laughs> out in the road. But um, no, I, I just think that, no, I think the Stanford quarterback situation is the more important one to watch because if Costello and Mills are both out, I don't think there's any way you can lay over a touchdown with a third string quarterback as bad as UCLA's defense is. And then, uh, yeah, it's just like, I also think that there is, I mean, obviously this is so player dependent, but the line itself, I think that there's value in UCLA. Uh, this opened at seven and a half before getting bet up to 10 to now eight and a half. Um, I don't know, it's just like the last thing betters have on their mind is UCLA getting blown out at home against Oregon state and then, and Stanford pulling off the upset uh, over Washington. So obviously the line's going to be a little inflated towards Stanford. And I know that, um, we've been ripping chip Kelly all year, but I feel like, I feel like this is the game that he probably wants most just because David, when chip Kelly was back at Oregon, like (laughs) David Shaw and those Stanford teams, like they, they prevented Oregon a few times of, of, you know, finishing, with either an undefeated record in the regular season and maybe blocking them from either national championship or a bigger bowl. So I would, I would think that this is the biggest game for chip Kelly, at least in his mind. And I, both teams are off a of buy so that that doesn't really matter. Um, UCLA still has a lot of talent. And, and I mean, Stanford really has underwhelmed for a majority of the season. And I, and I get that they're, that they're riding hot with a three point win over Oregon state and, and, and the Washington uh, game where, where the Huskies absolutely laid an egg, but are we really sure that Stanford should be getting over a touchdown over anyone? Uh, I mean, I, I guess it would make a difference if it's a healthy Costello or uh, Mills, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm going to wait to see what, what, where, uh, what players are healthy and playing, but initial lean for me uh, up in the air, like I'd probably lean UCLA to be honest. Okay. And then Rob to Max's point, UCLA's rush defense is good. So I don't trust Cameron, Cameron Scarlett. I don't think he's great. I, I thought he was impressive against Washington, which again, that, that could be, that game could be an anomaly, but what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like the, the UCLA stinks. <laughs> Let's not, <laughs> like, I can't sugarcoat it. I mean, they're 81. So that defense is at 79 there. What, so what Stanford does really well, they avoid negative drives. They're at number 15 against negative drives. And like, so they don't go three and out very often. UCLA is number 91 at creating negative drives. Like they just, they, they struggle to get out, you know, to, to find a way off the field. You're right. Like there's UCLA has a huge split. They're number 31 uh, in effective rush. They're number 114 against the pass. And when you're 114, it almost doesn't matter who's playing against you um, because they're they're going to be able to throw the ball. You can throw the ball effectively against UCLA. Um, and Stanford's number 35 in effective pass, um, you know, with the, the two quarterbacks that they've had out there. I like I do like the uh, I mean, like just just to give you an idea, like in pure raw metrics and they've played very different schedules here. But UCLA's defense gives out gives up two point nine, almost three points per drive. 
Uh, oh God. That's horrendous. <laughs> um, they, have an, they have an average starting field position of almost the 34. <laughs> so they're not getting a lot of help. I mean, even like, like Stanford has played a far tougher schedule um, and they're putting up almost two points per drive. Like I, I just, I think this, this sets up well for Stanford. Um, and then on, on the other side of the ball, I mean, we've watched, unfortunately a fair amount i've watched i watched some ucla in person this year sorry to hear um that. yeah i know that yeah, was a fun i mean cincinnati's got a cool stadium but um you know stanford's defense isn't great they're at number 64 ucla's offense isn't great they're at number 67 um i just i don't know that i don't know what i'm going to get out of this ucla offense almost no matter who the quarterback is they're, they're number 76, you know, running the ball. That, that was something you could count on with this team last year. But Stanford's got a decent split still. I mean, even after even after Adebo and company sort of showed up in that second half, I mean, that's the sort of question I have in my mind is so Stanford split. They're number 37 in effective rush. They're number 94 still in effective pass after those games where USC and, and UCF just really went right after um, their their corners. I don't know. I mean, I think if if the Stanford back half of their defense shows up the way they did against somewhat against Oregon and against Washington, I mean, I think Stanford has this game pretty handily. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll keep a look on that line and we'll make sure to tweet out some injury updates as they go on. Uh, my mm-hmm. beta ranks got it at 10 beta ranks got it at 10.36 for Stanford with the home field. Okay. Um, my initial lean will be uh, giving the points and same thing on your end, Rob. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's under ten, I'm going to take the card. This will be a week where we could catch up on Max. We'll find out. All right, moving on. Saturday, October nineteenth, eleven thirty a.m. Woo, early game. Oregon State is a ten and a half point dog on the road against Cal. We did talk about the Oregon State Utah game, but just a couple Oregon State numbers here. Jake Luton, seventeen for thirty four, hundred thirty one yards to the air and an interception, no touchdown passes, only forty eight yards rushing against Utah. Oh my gosh! And like, it's not as if yeah, I know there's been some injuries on Oregon State side, but uh, that's a pretty worrisome number. Um, I, Isaiah Hodgkins had a, a decent game, eighty. Eight, eight catches for 77 yards. Uh, the one bright spot, the defense had seven tackles for a loss against Utah, which was good. Um, but my goodness, they got they got uh, hosed. And they now have a trip to Berkeley, who comes off of a bye, Rob. Or let's go with you, Max. Um, what, uh, what are your initial impressions here of this game? Uh, this line didn't make any sense to me. I, I know that Oregon State just got blown out by Utah, but... I think that this line is too high. I think anything above seven, you, uh, I'd be taking Oregon State, anything above seven. Um, I, I just think that this is an overreaction spot. I still like Oregon State's offense. I mean, it's it's going to – Jamar Jefferson, I think, is doubtful to play this one. So it's going to be all our Davis Pierce on the ground. And Cal's defense has regressed, especially defending the run. So I think with the blowout, I, I think that you'll kind of see Jonathan, Jonathan Smith think that maybe we should go back to our, our roots – and try and run the ball a bit more. Um, and then also, I mean, Cal's offense, four of their offensive linemen are, are injured. Uh, I, I, and at least two of them are, are out for this game. Uh, and like you were saying, with the tackles for loss, Oregon State's defense has really improved uh, in generating havoc. And if you're forcing Devin Modster to throw out of second and third and longs, I just think that the, that the Cal offense really could have a tough time even against Oregon State's defense so to me it's the strength on strength it's Oregon State's offense against Cal's defense 
But this is a Cal defense that I think is slightly overrated just because of how much they've regressed. And an Oregon State offense that I think now coming off the the Utah blowout is now slightly underrated. And last Cal game, I, I know that we covered with the Cal plus 21 at Oregon, but that was a game that Oregon probably should have won a lot more just because they had uh, the Troy Dye fumbles. Uh, and they had the Herbert red zone interception and one of those fumbles by die came in the red zone like that. That game could have gotten out of hand early. And luckily for Cal, they got the turnover luck. So that's why the game was so close. Um, yeah, I, I just think that the line, it, it's it's too high. I I think I agree with you here, Max. The flip, I guess the flip argument would be. Uh, you know, nothing gives you a cure for a terrible offense like Oregon State's defense. But uh, Monster's really going to have to show up in this game. Let's start with Cal's offense against the the monstrosity that is Oregon State's defense here, Rob. What do the numbers tell us? So it's the number 60 Cal offense against the number 127 mm. Oregon State defense. They moved up um, one, right? Yeah, congrats. Yes, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, this Cal offense isn't great. They're not grading out great. I mean, that's a very low-level Power 5 offense right there at number 60. Um, and that but, includes some of Jace Garber's, too, I would yeah, assume. That, yeah, yeah. Garber. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so like the model does have a uh, an exponential decay built in to, uh, to try to handle time. So there is some recency bias in the model to try and weight more recent games in uh, a bit more. Um, to try to catch some of that effect, but you're right. Like uh, some of this data is with uh, with Garbers in there. Um, Cal has a, a decent offensive split. They're number 45 running the ball. They're number 66 passing the ball. Oregon State, I mean, they're number 125 against the pass and number 119 against the run. Uh, this is just a really, really bad defense. I mean, I, I fully expect Cal is going to you know be able to put up 30 points on these guys. You know, and and they have a Cal has an advantage on special teams. They're number fifty one versus one hundred eight. I I don't know, like this feels like a you know Cal's had plenty of time to prepare. If Modster has to play, he's had first team snaps for an additional two weeks. Um, I mean, I'm not like some massive believer in the um, in the Cal offense here, but against the Oregon State defense, like you you should feel confident in almost anyone. Well, let's flip that on its head here because I think one of the really interesting matchups is that. Uh, Oregon State pass offense against a really good secondary in Cal's defense there. Um, what are the numbers there for for that matchup? And then just for Oregon State's offense against Cal's D? Yeah, so this is an interesting matchup because, as Max pointed out, they, they have regressed. They're at number 125, or not 125, they're at number 25 in beta rank, um, which is higher than we expected coming into the season by about uh, 10, 12 spots. Um, Oregon State's offense, even after that hideous performance against Utah, is number eight. Um, what what they what in the splits? That's where it gets interesting because uh, Cal's defense, the back end, that secondary is still excellent. They're number eight uh, in effective pass. They kind of stink against the run. They're number fifty six against the rush, um, and, and you can run on this this Cal offense. Uh, Oregon State, they're number 26 in effective rush. They're number 12 in effective pass. It's going to be tough for them to get the uh, the passing game going. They're going to have to run to be able to set that up. And I, I think they can. I mean, I don't think that's impossible uh, for them to do. But uh, Oregon State, they have, they have great play calling. They're 
awesome at drive efficiency. So they're number six there. Um, they have a big advantage there against the Bears, who mostly most of their their positive grade. They're number twenty four at containing explosive drives. You can, uh, if you're patient and have some good play calling, put up some points against this Cal defense. Max, what would it take for you to give to give those points? To Cal, what are they going to need to do to actually cover a ten and a half point spread against a pretty prolific offense in Oregon State? So, sorry, you're, you're asking what line I would need to back Cal. Yeah, I would. I would take Cal at six and a half or lower. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm rolling with you. I, I think that's a lot of points <laughs> to give what to. Is, what, what, what does Beta Rank have the line at? Beta Rank has it at fifteen with the home. Wow. Court. Just. It really, I mean, Oregon State's Oregon State's at a at the level of a, a very bad. I mean, they they grade out like Kansas. They have a that is a huge split between offense and defense. I mean, this is a team that went out and lost to Hawaii, you know, on the road. That's not a. I mean, that's not crazy. Like Hawaii. I mean, this defense is really bad. Anybody can put up points on these guys. All right. I, feel like with, I feel like with the Hawaii loss, though, that was a 31-28 game. I feel like limiting Hawaii to 31 points is a win. No? Yeah, I mean, but I, I'm sorry. Like, I guess my point, like, th- this is a defense that almost anyone, like, I mean, as we see week in, week out with these guys, like, they really just struggle. UCLA is an example of sort of, like, offensive ineptitude. Like, they're them boat racing UCLA, I, I don't know. I just don't – I'm not all that impressed with that. Like, I, I need to see more out of this defense. Now, they they – come out and shut down Cal again this week. Cause Cal, Cal can, <clears throat> as they showed against Washington, like Cal can run the ball, um, you know, from time to time. Now they didn't against Oregon very well, but not many people are going to run the ball very well against Oregon. Um, I, that I, I, I think Cal's going to be able to run the football in this game. So you given the points or are you taking them, uh, Rob? I, I'm taking Cal. Give me the bears. Okay. All right. I'll take Oregon state. And just to, to confirm, you taking Oregon state too, Max. Absolutely. All so right. They're, they're, they are my favorite side of the week. Oh, all right. All right. We'll put all a big right. star on that one. Okay. Um, moving on, 6.30 p.m. Arizona is on the road against USC, and I'm looking for a line here. Uh, looks like Arizona is a nine-point underdog in Los Angeles against USC. Um, going back to Arizona's loss to Washington, give us some Arizona, number, Arizona numbers here. So Khalil Tate had a brutal game, 13 for 25, 184 yards through the air. He had a touchdown, an interception, and a fumble, and an inexplicable one where he threw the ball backwards and basically gave up a touchdown and a really crucial part uh, early in the game. Uh, Arizona had 151 yards on the ground. J.J. Taylor looked pretty solid, 18 for 89 and a touchdown. Nathan Tilford, one of the bigger backs, kind of that third big body that they have, had a really solid game. Uh, six for 49 and a touchdown and Mike, Michael Wiley was also on the, gra- the uh, ground doing a pretty good job defense was pretty solid again in that first half um, but just really some great plays by Washington in the second half I think it was more Washington's offense rather than Arizona's defense that led to that explosion of points in the second half which was fueled by the way by Arizona's four turnovers Max when you're taking a look at this here nine points um, seems like a lot to give a team against USC but what say you well, I mean, my guy covering Clay Helton, once again, covering as an underdog um, <laughs> against Notre Dame. I mean, I think he came into the season with the worst against the spread record ever as an underdog coach. And I think uh, it was out of all coaches that have been an underdog five times. But he's 2-0 as an underdog this year against the spread. So baby steps there. That being said, not ready to trust the Clay Helton coach team as a near double-digit favorite 
Um, USC really tends to struggle against mobile quarterbacks. And like, and like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, Cleo Tate has had a lot of success against them. I mean, sure. There's like the revenge based narrative that, that he was, you know, Sarah high school quarterback wasn't offered as, uh, to be USC's quarterback and now is at Arizona and, and wants, uh, you know, one last shot at USC, uh, and to beat them. But I mean, USC against Notre Dame, like it, it was a three point game. And I, I was impressed with how USC's offense responded, but they also they gave up 308 rushing yards to Notre Dame last week. I just that that defense is so hard to trust. And I know Arizona's run game has not been nearly as explosive as last year. And I think what Rob was saying that it, uh, the offensive line hasn't been good. And, and I'll definitely take your guys word for it because, you know, Arizona more than I do. And I, I think USC's defensive line is certainly talented. But the way that they get gashed um, on the run, it, it's embarrassing for the level of talent they had. I, I think that I think Clancy Pendergast has long overstayed his welcome as defensive coordinator. I was actually kind of surprised that Helton retained him this offseason. I just I, I really think that nine and a half is a lot uh, for USC to be laying here. And I, I, I don't think Arizona is a great team, but I don't think that they're bad. And I really like I, I feel like the uh, last week, the, co- the coaching mismatch between Chris Peterson and Kevin Sumlin really showed itself in the second half. Sumlin and Helton are, are I, I think, on similar planes uh, in that department. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's Air, it's Arizona for me in the points. One thing to mention is out of Tucson, there's some grumblings that Khalil Tate is. Uh, may or may not be injured. Uh, he looked a little hesitant to run against Washington, particularly in the second half. And uh, and man, when Arizona he was running for his life to the sidelines, he was doing that. Yeah, he... like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't. He may not have been going north and south, but he looked pretty quick going east west. <laughs> that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That is true. Hey, let's talk about USC real fast too. I, I, I forgot to bring up the score here. Um, so they played Notre Dame. They were on the road. The final score is 30 to 27. And there was some bright spots for you. USC here. I thought Keaton Slovis looked solid, 24 35, 255 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks. That's impressive for a, a freshman on the road, um, you know, at Notre Dame in a big spot. Amon Ross St. Brain, St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn's obviously um, pretty solid. Five tight end passes, finally, man. USC's been uh, hesitant on passing those tight ends. They finally got that into, uh, uh, into fruition. I thought they did a good job holding Ian Book to, uh, 17 for 32, only one touchdown there. He had a 53% completion rate. The secondary for USC Max seems to be kind of feeling, getting into their groove. I know that was a young but talented squad. Do you think that they are going to be able to hold down, um, you know, Arizona's pass attack? A lot of young wide receivers on Arizona's front. Yeah, no, I think getting uh, safety Talanoa Hufanga back, who, who missed the Washington game, I, I think that he's their best defender. He really jumps off the screen at safety. Like uh, I've seen, like some people compare him to Troy Palomalu, which is really high praise. But he's been he's been incredible. And then getting their top cornerback Elijah Griffin as well. Like I, I don't I don't think Arizona will beat USC necessarily through the air consistently. But Arizona is a really explosive offense, and USC definitely has the propensity to give up the big play. So I can definitely see Arizona taking advantage with with some bombs where the USC defense has some lapses, which which has been the case this entire season. Yeah, and to be fair, Notre Dame just 
ran all over USC when when they had the opportunity. And Arizona's run defense is pretty good. Let's uh, run offense is pretty good. Let's talk about Arizona's offense against USC's defense. Rob, what does Bader Rink say? So this this is interesting because Arizona's offense has fallen back a little bit, of course, after their performance against Washington. They're coming at number 52. USC comes in at number 40. They're, both teams have, like, Arizona's got a little less of a split. It's not terrible. They're number 43 passing the ball after those really effective performances against UCLA and Colorado. Number 56 running the ball. I We've talked about this. I don't think the offensive line is quite as good as they were last season. U, USC, however... As Max pointed out, they grade out at 60 against the run. They're, they, they are not great against the run right now. Um, and they do seem a little susceptible to the cutback and, and uh, over overcommitting. Um, they're number 31 in effective pass, and, and that's a good sign. I mean, th- they have had some decent pass rush, and the coverage has been a little bit better. I, I think, though, like what, what USC, what they've been decent at is getting off the field. They're number 29 in drive efficiency. So Pendergast does like to gamble a little bit. Um, and, and his blitzes do do pay off uh, in helping them get off the field a little. Uh, Arizona is not super explosive like they like they have been in years past. So they're number 77 there currently uh, on offense. And that's that's a little bit different than where they were sort of grading out um, last year with this Mazzoni offense. Like they they need to be able to find a way to put up big plays uh, in this game because USC certainly looks like a team that's going to put up some big plays. And the uh, the special teams are an advantage for USC. USC special teams are not great. They're number seventy two, but Arizona's number one fifteen. Yeah, it's been brutal. Arizona special teams, which is uh, could be a key in the game. Muff punts, missed field goals, just bad, like stupid decisions. Um, on the flip side here, USC's offense. One of the things that worries me is um, just the. I, I think I think USC is going to be able to run on Arizona's uh, front seven. And uh, and I think their wide receivers are significantly better than anything that they've seen this year. And that makes me nervous on the road. I know nine points is a lot, but I can see a scenario where Slovis at home uh, lights up the secondary to an extent where they they keep this game out of reach. But what does Beta Rank say? So Beta Rank in this game on the other side of the ball, USC is number seven, an effective pass. They're number 69, an effective rush. Arizona's got a little bit of a split. They're number 48 against the run, number 59 against the pass. Overall, it's the number 19 offense against the number 53 defense. But USC's all big plays. They're number 15 in that. Um, so that's that's a big advantage for them. I really worry about the USC wide receivers. Um, Arizona's cornerbacks are not big. Their safeties are not big. Um, you know, USC's receivers are going to be able to climb the ladder and get the ball. Beta rank has this with the home field add on for USC as a, an 11.86 favorite for the Trojans. It, it likes USC in this game. I'm going to go. I'm going to give the points. Nine was a lot, but the more I think about this, the more uh, I just I don't trust Tate. I, I know it's USC. I know it's like a game he wants to play, but um, and I'm, I don't trust USC either. I'm not betting this at all, but I can see a scenario where USC just takes care of business and keeps this game out of reach. But Max, who are you taking? Well, it looks like we're all pessimistic against our teams in this one because I'm going to Arizona. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, it'll be a fun game to watch, that's for sure. But I definitely uh, definitely not going to put any of my – It might not be a fun game to watch at all. Who well, are we kidding? Say, the, the total for this game is 67, mm. which I thought like um, – I think Arizona, USC, and Colorado, Washington State open at similar totals. And I thought that I think that Colorado Washington State is clearly going to be the higher scoring game. 
I think so too. That makes sense. But, um, man, th- those wide receivers against Arizona's defense, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, USC's just, they're, they're, I know that they have so much talent. They're just plagued by inconsistency. And I, and I think it was a stat that USC has lost the turnover battle in 16 straight games. Oh, my God. Which is unfathomable. Just because. Well, they're, like, they're negative which, seven in turnovers right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're worse than the Pac-12. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I just feel like turnover luck, like turnovers just like generating and losing them, it's so fluky. So the fact that USC has this 16-game negative turnover differential streak, it's astounding. (laughs) We should have done this game first. I forgot that it was both of our alma maters, but (laughs) oh well. Uh, Final game here, 4 p.m., Colorado on the road against Washington State, and Colorado, as beat up as they are, are a 13 and a half point underdog on the road in Wazoo. This is a funky game here. Now, of course, Washington State had, uh, I thought, a pretty good game against Arizona State. Just ASU was a better team outright. Uh, Gordon had a decent uh, a decent game, 44 for 64. He passed the ball 64 times, which is crazy town. Uh, more than 450 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Max Borgi, 9 of 31 and, and a touchdown. Get it done on that ground, man. Keep keep that going. Um, nine wide receivers caught a pass, but um, just outplayed by a better ASU team. But at home against a Colorado team that just looked awful, awful against Oregon. And why? Wazoo's a sneaky place to play, Max. I'm curious what uh, what your general general thoughts are right now before we get into the numbers. Sure. So I, I guess first thought is that Colorado uh, beat Arizona State. Arizona State beat Washington State. So Colorado should beat Washington State, right? And, and then all of a sudden you see this 13.5-point spread. And Washington State's winless in the Pac-12. So, you know, it's, it's like, huh? Well, what is Vegas thinking? This was actually the one favorite that jumped out to me this week. I, I think that this is absolutely a game where Washington State takes out their frustrations. Um, both these defenses are really bad. I just I, I trust just with the, with their short passing game and how many weapons Washington State has. And, and Colorado has good wideouts. Um, I, th- I think Chenault's still banged up, though. Um, but I, I just think Washington State has has the deeper stable of wideouts. They have the better running back and and, Borg, and Borgie over um, Fontenot and, and Mangum. Uh, they have the better offensive line, and especially with how quickly Gordon gets rid of the ball, I just don't see how Colorado gets any pressure at all. I think Washington State blows out Colorado in this one. I really do. I tend to agree, Rob, but, and and let's start with Washington State's offense against Colorado's defense because, my goodness, those numbers probably jump off (laughs) off of the paper. Yeah, so this is the number seven offense against the number 116 defense. Um, There's nothing particular that Colorado does except, like, they they are good against the run. Not that that's going to do them a lot of good in this game. They're number 70 in effective rush, number 122 in effective pass. Washington State, number three in effective pass, number 124 in effective rush. Um, Washington State, they are, they, however, they are not great at uh, a drive efficiency. Like they tend, they like to put up big plays. They, they grade out at number four in explosive drives. Um, so if they can, they're going to put up some, some points early. The um, Gordon, he, it's hard. It's hard because they do throw short so often, but he does throw deep more than Minshew did last season. I, I, however, I, I kind of like Colorado in this game. This, because on the flip side of it, it's the number 33 offense versus the number 118 defense. Um, Colorado's good at drive efficiency. Like they could, they they can stay on the field. Um, Washington State number 87 in drive efficiency. 
Uh, Washington State is particularly bad, number 124 against the pass. Colorado's split is their number 17 throwing the ball, number 70 running the ball. This is just a game that I, I, I don't know. I don't think Washington State's defense is going to be able to shut down or slow down Colorado's offense. I don't think Colorado's defense is going to be able to shut down or slow down Washington State. Um, and Beta Rank has it uh, as a much smaller favorite for favorite for Washington State. They're at 8.74 in the model. I, I like Colorado against uh, a number that high. Montez, uh, I think, bounces back. Okay. One thing to keep a lookout for that scares me a little bit when taking Washington State is I think Alex Fontenot and Jared Mangum are good. I just don't think their offensive line is great. But against a Washington State defense, I think they have they both have a pretty solid game on the ground. And you see Colorado move the ball through the air and on the ground. I just think that Washington State's going to drop a 50-burger on Colorado. We'll, we'll see what happens in that game. But um, I will... Uh, I will give the points. I'll take Washington State. Rob, you're you're taking the points. You're taking Colorado. And Max, just to confirm, you're on the board for Washington State. Yeah, my only favorite this week. I'm 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 happy. I'm back with uh, dog heavy week after last week. Um, <laughs> and, and I and I guess one other thing, I feel like even if if Washington State gets off to a fast start uh, in this one, you know that Mike Leach isn't letting his foot off the pedal just after the UCLA collapse. Like he wants that first Pac-12 win bad. And he can't really afford his defense to let Colorado back in the game. So I, I just think it's going to be full pedal to the metal type of affair if if Washington State gets off to a quick start. Probably. It's almost like which team, I mean, which of these defenses, and I don't, I don't think that there's any indicator amongst them, like what is, but this game might turn on if if somebody gets a turnover, if Washington state managed to get some, manages to get one or two interceptions, you know, I think it goes over. If Colorado gets one or two, they could even win the game. And actually, I think these are both teams that have um, gotten uh, fumble luck so far this season. I I know Colorado was really high up uh, with turnover differential early in the season. Uh, And, and Washington state had one of the better fumble recovery rates early in the season. Well, I'd, I'd have to check the numbers. Uh, currently, but I know that those are two teams that have benefited from turnover luck. What do you think about Mel Tucker's shorts game in this city? You think he, you think he busts out the shorts here? It's probably cold up there in Pullman. I was just saying, in, in the Palouse in October? Probably not. That'd be way more baller, though, if he came out with like khaki shorts. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be way more baller if he came out with jean shorts at the Palouse, man. Like, oh, man. You're, if you, in Washington State, like, when in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Gardner Minshew with those cutoff shorts when he came back. My goodness. Uh, just live, live your life, young man. <laughs> live it free. <laughs> um, any final words, guys, before we sign off for the week? Uh, well, I guess I, I gave out my favorite side or side of the week with Oregon State. What, if you guys had to pick one bet on the board, either side or total, as your favorite, what would it be? Ooh, what do you think, Rob? Uh, if I had to take my favorite, I'm going to take Stanford over UCLA. That would likely be mine, too. Let me just double check on here. Um, I would do Stanford or, or Washington State. Um, I'll go with Stanford. I don't trust UCLA at all. And I, I think with the bye week, I do think that you get one of the two starting quarterbacks for uh, for Stanford. The one thing that does worry me is that like that entire offensive line is injured. So, um, you know, that could yeah. be an issue against the front seven. But I I just I think UCLA is bad. So I'll, I'll take Stanford as well. Um, cool. Well, let's leave it there, guys. Thank you for joining. And again, follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. Max, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at the Max Meyer. 
Or uh, if you go to si.com slash gambling, you'll see my uh, college football best bets. Uh, how I've been doing it recently is I've been doing one Pac-12 best bets. Thank you, SI Editorial Freedom. Uh, one Pac-12 <laughs> best bets article and then one best bets article for the other conferences that are less important. Uh, so last week, 3-0 and uh, for Pac-12, as I said. And then 2-0, and I took two uh, home underdogs. Uh, with Tennessee beating Mississippi State outright and Temple beating Memphis outright. So I'm um, 26 and 15 on the season, which I think is 65%, and just hoping to keep it rolling there too. Max is hot, hot fire right now. So definitely follow him. And uh, one of the things on, on our end, so we at Wildcat Radio uh, just started the Saul Bookman show. We're really excited about that. And uh, that's going to free me up to do a little bit more here with BetaRank and, and the website. So uh, keep a lookout for that. We're going to have a few more articles and stuff. It gives me a little bit more freedom to uh, be able to put out some content. Really great website, though, Rob, with your numbers on there. What do we got going? Uh, we got a lot going this week. I mean, there it's it's not quite it's not quite an exciting week of football outside of the Pac-12, but in the Pac-12, this is one of the better weeks with Utah and Arizona State, um, and then the Washington Oregon game. Uh, but you can peek ahead and look at uh, next week, which will be Ohio State Wisconsin. If you look at the team comparison tool, which is number one versus number four, and then the week after that, it's number two versus number three. It's going to be LSU and Alabama, and you can peek ahead and see what the what what the model thinks uh, based on current data. Ooh, right on. Okay. Well, tune in uh, sharpcollegefootball.com. You can check out all of Max Meyer's stuff on Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated Gambling, doing some really great work there. And we will catch you guys next week.